Welcome to the Rocking Life podcast, Rocking Life After Divorce. And uh, I have Randy Stroman here today, and I am so happy to hang out with you today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about Randy. Randy is a trained uh, professional. He's a pastor, entrepreneur, and uh, train individuals across the country, all around the world, and teaching them identity roadblocks and their dreams and goals, and then shatter those barriers, achieve breakthroughs in their lives. And uh, I got to know Randy about five years ago, almost five years ago. Do you remember where we met? Well, I know we met through uh, the John Maxwell program. Yeah. And I think we we actually physically met at one of the trainings, and then you and I had some follow-up conversations after that. Yeah, I remember exactly where we were. We were in the, in the hallway outside of the big hall, and mm-hmm. uh, I was debating how to pronounce my name. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, you came with... I a, would have thought that would have been settled many, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> because Per is a Swedish name, and uh, Americans have such a hard time roll their R's. So in Swedish, it's pad, and uh, uh, if you don't speak Spanish, it's very, very difficult for Americans to say my name. So I was mm. debating back and forth, should I use Peter or Pear or Pete? Or it's just, you know, Pear comes from Peter, which means the rock. And my podcast is Rocking Life. Yes. <laughs> so it has some, uh, and uh, we started rock climbing, me and my kids, and uh, that I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, it has a lot of analogies around rock climbing. But uh, we met and talked about that, and you came up with uh, the suggestion. Why don't you? Well, I, if I recall, I probably told you what I often say is, you know, you can call me whatever you want as, you don't, as long as you don't call me late for dinner. Yeah, something so. like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, this podcast, I started this podcast uh, just um, exactly one month ago today, and I'm overwhelmed with all the support I'm getting. I have hundreds of listeners already. That's crazy. And uh, it it is so... clearly it's a topic that is uh, important to a lot, a lot of people. Yeah, it is. I'm overwhelmed with all the listeners and questions come in and... uh, it's really, really cool. So I get a lot of energy from that. And the, the, the reason why I invited you, because I knew you went through a divorce. You shared that with me before. And mm-hmm. uh, when we, actually, when we talked there five years ago, you shared about the divorce. That I was in the middle of the divorce then. And, and so many people get stuck and they have... A divorce for me was the most difficult thing in my whole life. Kind of like an awakening in many ways. And uh, it was, uh, I got a counselor, I got uh, John as a, as a mentor, got into the mentors program, I got a coach, and opened up my eyes in many ways. And uh, I don't know, what, what's your experience? I want this podcast to be like a catalyst for people, to hear your story. Uh, and I want to hear people that can be real and authentic and, and uh, not sugarcoat these things. Right. Because I know uh, it's, it can be so difficult. I mean, you become so depressed a lot of times, loneliness, etc. So wh- what is your experience uh, of the divorce? 
Well, for me, my, my journey was one of surprise. Um, I think some people get divorced and they sort of expected it. Um, my situation was very different from that. I had been married for 28 years. I had married my high school sweetheart. Wow. Uh, we were the couple that everyone looked to as the example of a great marriage. And so when divorce hit our relationship, I, I'll, I'll confess it, it shocked a lot of people and it scared some people because I think they realized that divorce can hit anyone. Wow. And, and so it's very, very important. And, and, and I, you know, as a divorced person, um, I'm actually an advocate for marriage. Yeah. And I know that sounds contradictory, but, but because I know the, the difficulty that a person's going to go through. Um, I think the best way to describe that is when I first got married, a pastor that was marrying us required us to do some pre-marriage counseling as many pastors do. Yeah. And um, he described marriage in a way that I think is so accurate and I think would be very helpful to your listeners. And he said marriage is like taking two pieces of paper and putting glue on both of them and then slapping them together and trying to line up the edges so you can't tell one piece of paper from the other. He said divorce is when you tear those two pieces apart. Wow. said it's impossible to get a clean break because you're going to leave pieces of the one on pieces of the other. Yeah. And I think that's a very accurate description of divorce. If you think that you're going to enter into divorce and just leave all your problems behind and now suddenly life is going to be a bed of roses, I want to caution you because that is not how life works. Yeah. And when you enter into a relationship with someone, a marriage relationship, the most intimate human relationship that we can have, um, there is no way that you're going to have a clean break. Now, I don't say that to give you fear that you can't find a healthy place after divorce. I say that to caution you to set your expectations in a healthier place because there is no way you're going to get a clean break. Yeah. You're, you're going to be connected to that person for the rest of your life, especially if you have children. Yeah, uh, that's what I, I agree 100%, especially when you have children and uh, especially if the children are young. Well, my children were older, and I can tell you that it's been just as difficult. Oh, yeah. They did not see it coming. Uh, they did not expect it, and it hit all of. I had three sons uh, in the in the previous marriage, and and it hit each of them in very different and in some cases very devastating ways. Oh wow! And so I've since learned that uh, divorce can be even more difficult on adult children than it can be on younger children because they have time to kind of work through that process. Um, They have the downside of having to do the, the, you know, the sharing and, and, you know, joint custody and some, in most cases. And so you have all of that. Now I experienced that in my second marriage because my wife was previously married and had a daughter. And when I came along, she was 11 years old. And so I experienced that side of it too. So I feel like I've seen both sides of this issue with young children in divorce and with, um, with older children, adult children. Yeah. And I'm just going to tell you that divorce, there's no winners. No, there's exactly. only losers. Yeah. 
Now, when, when you say that you were not aware, did you afterwards realize that there was problems or that uh, you usually say that's never one person's fault why a divorce happens? Yeah, I, I, I say that because I married very young. I was, I was 20 years old yeah. by one day when I got married. And um, so I was very young, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And so did we have conflict in the relationship? Sure. There is no human relationship that isn't prone to conflict. Conflict is in every relationship. And I think the biggest thing that I learned is that conflict is not a sign of problem in a relationship. It's the inability to resolve that conflict. And so if, if you think because there's conflict in your relationship that, that your marriage is, is in trouble, that's, a, that's just a myth. Yeah. It is the inability to resolve that conflict and work through that conflict that's going to lead to divorce. And so we had conflict, and my only point of reference was the relationship that I was in. Um, my parents had conflict. Uh, they had uh, been married uh, over 60 years until my father's passing. And so that was my only other point of reference. And so I just assumed that what we were going through was normal. What I didn't understand is that there was an undercurrent of emotional issues that had not been resolved. And, um, you know, some, of course, on my part, some on my, my former spouse's part, and I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so I'm a real advocate for good counseling. Now, yeah. you know, there, there are some great counselors out there and there are some really bad ones. Just, just like there's some good attorneys, <laughs> there's some not good attorneys. Uh, just like there are good police officers and there are some that are not good police officers. That's, yeah. that's life. Yeah. So I encourage you to find a counselor and I, I personally think that every married couple should go to regular counseling just as a checkup. Yeah. Just I mean, like when you check the car, especially like in Sweden, exactly. you have to go every year. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you change your oil you know, yeah. every so often. You rotate your tires every so often. Um, you go to the dentist, we hope anyway, every, every six months for, for updates and, and checkups. What, what do we do with marriage? We throw two people together that have absolutely no experience in how to have a healthy marriage, and we just throw them out into the sea and expect that they're going to be able to swim. Yeah, it's very true that when you don't resolve conflict, for us, it started with a small thing, and then uh, you know we had several issues, medical issues with the children. It was a lot of fear uh, in in our relationship. It became a lot of stressors in the relationship. And then issues became bigger and bigger, and we weren't able to resolve them. We tried with counseling. I I was very blind in many ways. It's kind of like a a horse when you have these uh, things on the sides. I I wasn't aware in many ways. Yeah. And and I think for me, my personality type um, is, is one that has a tendency to want to avoid conflict. Um, and, and so when conflict would come up, I would do what was necessary at the moment to make the conflict settle, Yeah. but I didn't know how to resolve the conflict. Yeah. I didn't know how to, to recognize the source of the conflict, go to the root cause of the problem 
and find solutions that were going to work that were acceptable to both of us. And I, I knew none of that back then. Yeah. And so, so when, when the conflict would subside, then I thought the problem was solved. Yeah. But my, my wife at the time was, was wired very differently. In fact, our, our personality types were almost exact opposite. Yeah. And so while I thought everything was fine, she was suffering. And, um, and, and unbeknownst to me, and she, she is a person that on the exterior is a very, um, a very pleasant person, um, you know, would smile a lot, um, would always, you know, look people in the eye, but, but she also lacked a lot of confidence, which I didn't recognize back then. Yeah. And so she was like suffering underneath the surface and I didn't recognize it. And that's probably my biggest mistake. Yeah, and that's yes. very what I understand. Very common about me, women too. When when it comes to self confidence, and uh, but uh, when you went through the divorce, a lot of people I interview share that they went through both. For me, I went through a lot of shame uh, because mm-hmm. I grew up in a church. Uh, I went to a church. I preached. Uh, uh, you know, you have to stay married. They, you know, it's like so strong teaching about you should stay married. You should stay married. And almost never talk about divorce. So it became for me, I failed in, so I stopped going to that church. It's like I felt such a failure because I, 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 uh, my divorce crashed. And I also did not want to talk to my closest friends about it because I had so much shame. Yeah. Is this something that you went through? Um, to a certain extent, um, yes. I recognize the stigma that divorce has. I will say, unfortunately, because of the, um, the frequency of divorce these days, that stigma has largely started to disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, so you're, you're, it's not as bad. I mean, you go back a couple of decades and, and people that were divorced were almost treated like second class citizens, you know, that there's something wrong with you. Um, I will make this statement and this will probably make some people angry, but I know some people that are married that are less married than those that are divorced. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and so it isn't, it isn't about, it isn't about what status you're in. It's about what journey you're on. Yeah. Are, are you taking steps to become the best version of yourself are you taking steps to improve as a human being? Are you becoming the best version of you that you can be regardless of your, your marital status? That's the key. Yeah. Because if you're doing that in the marriage relationship and you have a spouse who's doing the same thing, you're going to, if, you, if you're doing it right, you're going to improve that marriage and you're going to have a happy and healthy relationship. Um, and, and, but if you're, if you find yourself in a divorce situation, you still have that same responsibility to become the best version of yourself. And, and it's, you know, garbage in garbage out quality and quality out. So what you choose to feed on and what you choose to put inside of your mind is going to determine what comes out of you. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, when I went through that, I, I very much went deep into understanding what makes for a healthy relationship because I was determined that I wasn't going to repeat this experience in my life again because 
um, you've probably covered this on previous calls, but but second marriages are almost two and a half times more likely to end in divorce than first time marriages. Yeah, I understand that. And I, after the divorce, I started dating quite quickly. Uh, and I, I realized that I started dating out of the wrong reason. I was mm-hmm. lonely and uh, I just uh, wanted to fill that gap. And uh, and a lonely person is probably not the best person to fill that loneliness exactly. gap. Exactly. Right? So I, I stopped dating. I dated for less than a, a year and then uh, I just stopped. So I haven't dated for two years now, actually. So I just, I needed a clean break. And now I feel very good. I'm not lonely. That loneliness just dissipated. And mm-hmm. uh, I started to open up. I become vulnerable. And that has had to do with the shame. I was able to start sharing about the shame. Brene Brown, an author here in Texas, have written yep. a book about shame. And how shame wants you to hide the things that you're shamed of. But when you start sharing about what you're ashamed of, that shame dissipates. And that's what I started doing. I started sharing with the closest friends. That's what my counselor told me. You know, reach out to, to a couple of people that you, you are comfortable with and trust and start sharing. And that's when, uh, when I beca- started becoming vulnerable and being able to be me. Because yeah. uh, the large part of my, during the uh, marriage, I was superficial in many ways and try to pretend I have a great marriage, etc. In many ways, superficial. And uh, I've come to the point that, where I can be completely authentic with people. And I love authentic people, people that can be real. They can talk about issues. They can talk when they failed. And, and because that's so powerful to be able to share with another person because then they know they can go through this journey uh, and learn from it. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, transparency is one of the most important qualities that a person can have. The, the, the challenge with that is knowing with whom to share it. Absolutely. Um, because um, there are people that are just transparent with everybody, and that is not what Brene Brown is talking no. about. Um, she is talking about a trusted group of people, which should be a very small group of people, but being genuine and transparent with them because people will use your transparency against you if their motives are not right. Yeah. No, I agree hundred percent. And that's what the counselor said, you know, uh, pick out uh, a few people that you trust. And because prior to the divorce, I never had these close friendships with other men. It was superficial relationships where we talk about sports and uh, things, but not about deeper things. But throughout the divorce, I learned to communicate with my closest friends in on a deep level where I have three, four friends right now. I can share anything with them and yeah. have complete trust. And it's nothing better to have those awesome friendships. Absolutely. I, and that's one of the things I did right in, in my divorce is um, – when, when it was apparent that there was a serious problem beyond what I had understood prior, I surrounded myself with six men yeah. that I saw as good role models. They had good marriages. They, they were healthy. They were successful in their life. Um, they were the type of men that I wanted to be. Yeah. And I shared everything with them. I Now, I'm a communicator, so... 
I probably in, in, you know, person under, you know, a tremendous stress and, and pressure of life of going through the, the ending of a 28 year relationship. Um, I probably shared a lot more than I should have, Yeah. but they were very gracious and very loving. And, um, and I shared everything with them, the good, the bad, the ugly, yeah. but that was very therapeutic for me because it kept me healthy. It kept me going in the direction of health, even though emotionally I had been severely wounded by, by the whole experience, but I had them kind of as a, as a sounding board and I would hear things come out of my mouth and I'd go, that's not right. And then I'd have to correct it. And so that's, that's how it worked for me. Now, somebody who's maybe not a communicator, that process may look different for you, but for me, um, my, my journey to health was, was definitely, you know, hearing myself talk my way through it. Yeah. Yeah, For me, it was a lot of emotional. I think men has to deal with that more than women. Uh, I didn't know how to handle emotions in many ways. And, uh, this became a roller coaster initially in the divorce where, I had a lot of uh, both fear about the divorce because I moved to the U.S. and then I didn't know if I was going to be able to live here or not. And then all the things with the kids, being able to see the kids a lot less, a fraction of, of what I used to be. And and a lot of loneliness, extreme loneliness because mm-hmm. I, everything, I was married for twenty over 20 years and then everything just uh, crashed. And I didn't have a lot of friends here either. So the loneliness was definitely a big uh, difficulty for me initially. Is that something that you went through? Yeah. And, and for me, um, my lowest point was, was the week uh, that the divorce was finaled. Um, So I, I drove to the courthouse and uh, went in before the judge. Uh, My attorney was there Um, my wife at the time had already signed all the papers. She did not show up. And, um, I, I remember the, the, the judge, it was a female judge. Uh, she was very compassionate. Um, she could tell that I was not, you know, not wanting this to go through. Uh, Now I, I have to confess, I am the one who filed divorce. Um, but, but it was not something that I wanted to do. And in fact, it was the six men who said, I think you've, you've reached the point of no return. And I think it's time it's doing more damage to you right now than it is good. And so I filed divorce, went to the court and I remember her saying, um, you know, that the marriage was dissolved and, um, she wished me well. And I walked out of the courthouse all alone. My attorney shook my hand in the courthouse. He had another another case that he was staying for. So I walked out of the courthouse. I had a block and a half walk to my car. And I just remember that I was in such a fog. Um, I found my way to my car. I was fighting back the emotions. I got in the, 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 the vehicle and, um, and just lost it. And... I realized that I had been driving around that parking ramp for 20 minutes and I couldn't find my way out. Wow. And so, and even today it, it, you know, it touches my heart because, um, so I, I called one of those men who happened to be uh, my pastor at the time, one of those six men and he wasn't available. And, um, 
And so his wife had picked up the phone. She knew what was going on. And so she picked up the phone and she literally talked me home. <laughs> wow. That's how I got home that day. Yeah. And, um, and so I got home and that Saturday, um, I've, I've always been a very optimistic person. I always, you know, out looked on the positive side of things. If there's a challenge, let's face that challenge, but let's look for positive alternatives and options. And that's just kind of the way I'm wired. Um, but that Saturday after the divorce, I remember being in the house and, um, and I, I can't describe this any other way, but through my faith. And I, I know that that's not the purpose of this call, but, but I can't describe what happened apart from my faith. I am a person of faith. Yeah. And, um, and all I can describe to you is that there was, and I don't want to get too spiritual or spooky or anything like that, but I just have to describe my experience. And, yeah. and it was like, it was like somebody walked in the room and for the first time in my life, I felt that motivation to take my life. Wow. I'd never experienced that in my life before. Like I said, I've always been a very optimistic, very outgoing, very positive person, but it was literally as if someone walked in the room and suddenly I had this strong urge um, to take my life. Wow. And, um, and so now being a person of faith, I knew what to do. I, I recognized that this was not a positive thing, that this was not really who I am, was not my destiny. And so I just began to pray and I prayed like I've never prayed before. And that went on for about an hour and a half. And then suddenly, as quickly as it had entered the room, it was like someone flipped a light, a light switch and the whole thing lifted. And I've never experienced it again. Yeah. And so that was, that was my low point. Uh, I've had several people on the podcast share suicide thoughts and uh, even planning suicide after divorce. And uh, I think it's... Uh, it's so crucial that that uh, you know listeners that go through this and maybe have these thoughts that they really get get help and uh, yeah. re- reach out. Don't stay there in your loneliness and depressed state. Get out and get help. Yeah, don't suffer in silence. That's what I always tell people. Yeah. When you throughout the divorce and afterwards, did you go through any depression or loneliness, and how did you deal with it if you did? Um, I went through a period of time during the process of, of the marriage ending where I, I could not sleep for more than an hour or two at a time. Yeah. I, I was having horrible um, nightmares and I would have this nightmare repeatedly. And, um, and so that was, that was a very difficult thing to deal with. And so I wasn't sleeping. Um, I, I was, I was starting to, you know, to come undone in, in that regard, because you go long periods of time without sleep, and it's going to begin to affect you. So I went to the doctor, and and she she knew what was going on, uh, because my wife at the time had also been in to see her, and had been very open and honest with her, so she already knew what we were going through. Yeah. And she was hesitant to give me any sleeping pills, because she didn't want me to become dependent on them. Yeah. 
So she gave me a very small supply and said, I am not going to renew this. And I want you to take it as prescribed and there will be no more, but I want you to get some rest. And so I, I did finally was able to get some rest and it was helping. And I did go back and ask for more. And she said, I told you no, and she did not do it. And, and it was a good thing. Um, but uh, so, yes, that's kind of how it impacted me is that I, I was very much, um, you know, struggling to get rest and sleep and, and was having, you know, horrible nightmares. Yeah. Now we can switch a little subject there. When it comes to the kids, you shared that it was uh, almost more difficult for your adult kids or go through the, uh, a divorce with adult kids. And how did that affect you and your relationship with your kids going through the divorce and afterwards and now? And like John, our mentor, John Maxwell says, everyone communicates, but few connect. How do you connect with your kids and how have, have that uh, impacted the, your relationship with the kids? Well, I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you that it's a great ending story. And so far it's not, but I believe that it will be. Yeah. We, we, we went to counseling and he cautioned me um, early in the process. He said, I'm going to tell you this and you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to tell you it, and you're going to remember that I told you this. And he said that, Adult children will feel this subconscious need to choose sides. They won't consciously want to do it, but they will subconsciously choose sides. And they will almost invariably go to who they perceive as the weaker spouse. In other words, the, the one who's going to need the most support. Wow. And he said, in this situation, that is not going to be you because you are taking steps to get help. You're trying to, you know, grow as a person. You're, and I was a mess at the time, but at least I was taking steps to move in a good direction. And so he said, I'm going to tell you that this is going to happen. And sure enough, it did. Um, there was a strain that was placed on the relationship with all three of my sons. And we went through various ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And um, unfortunately, currently, I only have a relationship with the oldest son. Yeah. Uh, the two, uh, the middle son and the younger son, I have not spoken to in quite some time. And so what that counselor said to me was spot on. Um, you know, my, my position is that I'm here. I love them. I'm here for them. And um, I am believing that we are going to have a good, healthy relationship in the future, but currently we do not. And that's the dark side of divorce. Yeah. You know, today I have a great relationship. I'm very happily married, um, been married for, um, you know, going on 13 years and, um, you know, just, just, it's been a, just a wonderful, wonderful journey. I would love to be able to share that with my sons, but right now I don't have that option. Yeah, I know myself. I have four children. They're 24, 22, almost 18, and 16. And uh, it's definitely been a rocky road. And uh, it's uh, continuously for me, it's been trying to, like John says, connect and uh, doing what I can 
to establish that connection. But it's definitely because it's been friction in our in our divorce, a lot of friction in the divorce, and try to have a good post-divorce relationship with my. I like what you said, former spouse. I don't like ex. Uh, right. I like that uh, that you used former spouse. That's very very nice. I'm going to start using that myself. Former spouse. I want to have that because we can have the kids together for the rest of our lives. Right. And um, well, and I, I've said this. You know, one of the other things that I think that I got right in is that I refuse to talk uh, negatively about my former spouse. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we had 28 years together. We had three kids together. Uh, there were many, many, many good times. Yeah. And just because it ended in divorce does not mean that I need to be continually throwing her under the bus. It's a very unhealthy thing to do. Yeah. And so I try very, very hard to speak positively, um, and, and to think the best. And as I've described it, um, you know, openly to my children and even to my current spouse, my wife, is that I still love her. Yeah. You know, she's the mother of my children. Uh, we, we shared, a, a, you know, 28 years together. I still love her. I'm just not in love with her. Yeah. And so that's the approach that I take is that I want the best for her. I want her to find happiness. It's just not going to be with me. And, um, and so, you know, we, even, even in, you know, my current relationship with my wife, we, we don't talk about our spouses in a negative way. Um, We try to be positive and that doesn't mean that it's always positive things that happen, but we try to find the positive in it. And, um, and the other thing you were talking about kids, and I wanted to mention this is that I learned that, and I'm still learning that the relationship now has to be totally about them as an individual, that the family unit that once existed no longer exists. And so that means the relationship does change. And so you're going to have to learn to connect with those children on a completely different level than you've ever connected before, because trying to do it the old way, that, relationship is dead. It is gone. It is not coming back. And if you try to connect with them based on that experience, you're, you're going to have a very rocky road. And that's what I've been learning. And so for me, it's about connecting with who they are as an individual and recognizes their individuality and finding a common relationship with them totally separate from the family unit, which no longer exists. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually interview uh, coaches and counselors as well. And uh, in the last interview with Sonia, we talk about, and, or actually we're going to do an interview about uh, the five love languages, which you're oh, probably yeah. very aware of. And yes. the importance of knowing the love languages of each child. So mm-hmm. that is a huge benefit for you to help connect with your children to know their love language and how to communicate so they feel loved. Yes. Yeah, you could be working very hard to communicate your love for them, but doing it in a way that means nothing to them and really puzzled why it's not working. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I I think uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn. It's it's a journey, and uh, it's day by day. And uh, I I think uh, going through the divorce for me, it was very difficult but 
it was truly the most amazing time as well in my own personal life because I, I became aware in many ways. Uh, in what ways have you learned from going through the divorce? Is it anything you can pinpoint to say this, I'm a different person now because of the divorce? Um, yeah, I, I think that um, recognizing conflict and, um, you know, fr from day one, when I started dating my wife now, um, we, we both were committed to um, having a marriage that was going to last the rest of our lives. Yeah. And so we, we started on, on day one, just committed to each other that when conflict comes up, we were going to resolve that conflict. We were going to find a solution for it. We weren't going to look for whose fault it was because that's a big mistake that people make in relationships is trying to lay blame. Yeah. You know, this was your fault. You know, you're in a relationship. It's both of you. And so we, we refused to lay blame. We wanted to find a workable solution to that conflict. And then what we've done is we've developed a principle that we choose to live by to help us not repeat that same conflict again. Yeah. And we have over 50 principles that we've developed over the last 13 years uh, about communication and, um, you know, attitude and, you know, how to deal with conflict. And so we, we have them all written down and, um, and we from time to time go back and review that, but we try not to repeat the same conflict again. And, and so we did that from day one. And I, I, I very much remember the first time that conflict entered into our relationship. We were, we were dating, we were at a restaurant. I had just finished a counseling session and, um, and, we met and had dinner across the street and this conflict came up and it was over one of the stupidest things. And most conflicts usually are. Yeah. It was over, it was over the plates on the table and, and <laughs> something about the pattern. I mean, it was just a silly thing, but, but I re very much remember thinking at the time, Oh no, not again. You know, as if, this relationship wasn't going to make it. And, and that kind of just that, that thought coming into my head snapped me to, to consciousness. And I said, no, this is up to us. We get to choose. Yeah. And so we worked through that. We resolved it. And then we, we, we agreed on that course of action that when conflict comes, we're going to work together to resolve it. We're not going to lay blame. We're going to find a principle that helps us to not repeat that conflict again and then we're going to choose to live by that principle and I can tell you that that has worked tremendously we have an amazing relationship um, you know she is without a doubt my best friend in life she's not my only friend uh -huh. but she is absolutely my best friend and um, you know we we're, we share everything together we're very transparent with each other we have conflict everybody does uh, we just last Last week, we were on our, our way driving somewhere, and, well, we were actually going to church. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and we got into a big disagreement driving to church. Yeah. But one of the things that one of our principles is, is that um, in any relationship, but marriage in particular, 
um, men and women are, are wired very differently. I, I know that we're in an age where, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, equal. And I, I certainly embrace that we are equal partners in, in the relationship, but we're not wired the same way. No. And so the greatest need for a man is not sex. It's a close second, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's not, it's not the greatest need. The greatest need that a man has is honor. Yeah. Uh, a man will seek honor. And that's why you see men throw themselves into their work yeah. because when they go to work, they do a good job. And what do they get? They get an attaboy. They get people recognizing them for what they do. Yeah. It's also one of the key reasons why men will find affairs out in the business world and at work because people give them honor and they're feeding that honor. And so they are like, you know, drawn to it like a magnet, which is why it's so important for their spouse, their wife to give them honor. Yeah. Now a woman is very different. A woman's greatest need in a relationship is security. Exactly. She wants to know that no matter what she is safe and secure in that relationship. So what happens when conflict comes up? Well, the first thing that we do is we tend, I'm just saying human nature, I'm not saying you do this or, or everyone does this, but human nature is we start trying to point blames. Hey, this wasn't my fault. This was your fault. And when we do that, what we're doing is rather than, let me explain it this way. If you're on a cruise ship and somebody falls overboard, what's the first thing that people do? They yell man overboard and they throw the life preserver to them. Yeah. Right. Because that life preserver will keep them afloat until they can stop the ship and send somebody out to pick that person up. It'll keep them afloat. And so in a relationship, we need to throw the life preserver. But what do we normally do when conflict comes? We throw the anchor. We're trying to make ourselves feel better at the expense of our, our spouse. And so we throw the anchor and that's when we start, you know, hurling insults or this isn't my fault. This is your fault. And in so doing, we're throwing the anchor and, and, and sinking that person down even deeper. Yeah. What we need to do is throw the life preserver. And that means that for men, women need to recognize that the man's greatest need is honor. So they need to find a way in the midst of that conflict to honor their husband and help them find their footing so that they can stay afloat until you can resolve the conflict. For a woman, that means that she needs to know, even though there's an intense conversation going on, that she's safe and secure in that relationship. And so what does that look like? Well, for a man to, to look at the wife and say, I'm very angry with you right now, but I want you to know that I'm confident we're going to resolve this. We're going to work this through and you and I are going to solve this together. Just that simple process of being sincere and saying that, and then acting upon it will give her the security she needs to stay in that conversation and not turn it into a knockdown drag out fight for a woman. The way that that would look for her man is to say, yes, I'm very angry with you right now, but I'm confident that you are going to lead us through this process and you are going to help us resolve this. And I'm confident that you, you and I are going to work this out together. And so that, that is honoring him instead of telling him everything he did wrong. You're telling him everything, you know, he's going to do right to help resolve the conflict. Yeah. That simple act 
will will keep any argument from becoming a major issue. Now, if you get to a point where it's something that you cannot resolve together, then mutually, then that's when you have to bring in a, a third party to help. That's maybe a counselor or coach or somebody who can help guide you through that process. And, and that's where it's critically important that you have somebody that understands that process that I just described. Yeah. Because it, if you, if you go to some counselors that I've seen and been to, they're going to make the situation worse. Yeah. This is so important. Uh, like uh, for me, my love language is uh, affirmation. And uh, that is so important for, especially a man. And I know about women where security is the number one, the most important thing for a woman to, to feel secure in a relationship. And, and you and Debbie is also marriage coaches, right? Yes. Yeah. And that, that's yeah, we, awesome. We do, we do marriage coaching um, and, and we stress that we are not counselors. Yeah. Um, I think that um, clinically counselors deal with past issues that are affecting the present. I think that a good coach is going to deal with the present issues and help you see a better future. And, and so we're focused on helping you set a image in your mind for the kind of relationship you want. And that's your, that's your end in mind from the beginning. That's your ending point. That's where you want to go. And then you identify where you are now. So what is the source of the conflicts that you're dealing with? What is causing those? And now, once you've got a starting point and an end point, the rest is just geography. How do we get you from point A to point B? And that's where the coaching process comes in. We will go through the list of conflicts that you're dealing with, prioritize that list, and then work on the most impactful issue first. And then once we get that to to where it becomes a, a healthy area for you, then we take on the next area. And eventually you're going to find that that relationship will dramatically turn around. And so one of the things that uh, I mentioned to you before the call um, that, that we're about to go through a mediation certification, which is a different process. Whereas, you know, we're, we're trying to deal with people to help them find healthy relationships. We're also going to be able to deal with people that are in a media crisis. Yeah and uh, help them use mediation techniques to save that marriage. We're, you know, and again, I, this, this isn't to say that we're two-faced. We both come from previous marriages, but we are absolutely committed to helping people find a healthy, happy relationship and, um, and you know, get them to a place where, where they're enjoying their relationship, not free of conflict. Everybody has conflict, but, but that ability to resolve conflict. You know, it's kind of like um, a great way to describe this is um, if if you take a a knife and if that knife is sharp, it does exactly what it needs to do. It's it's going to be able to separate things that need to be separated and to bring order to, to that. But if that knife is dull, isn't doing what it's designed to do very well, it actually becomes very dangerous. You can actually hurt yourself and others if you're not using that knife properly. So what you want to do is sharpen that knife. And, uh, and so the, the physical way that a knife gets sharpened is you take a steel, which is one of those long steel rods and they go like this and slide that knife over that steel. And literally what you're doing is you're rubbing off 
metal from that knife to make it sharp again. You're, you're, you're taking two points and making it one. Yeah. And, and so that same thing happens in a relationship. The friction in your relationship is actually a healthy thing if you know how to resolve it. Yeah. Because you are literally rubbing off those edges and making yourself a better person so that the two of you can function and work better together. And so I tell people that come to me and they say, well, we just have all this conflict. And I say, great. Because <laughs> now we have something to work with. Yeah. Let's look at the conflict. Let's figure out how to sharpen those edges and rub off those areas of each of you that need to be rubbed off to make you a better version of yourself so that you can enter into a healthy relationship and move forward in, in a much better place. Yeah. And that's I, uh, really the process of, of marriage coaching. I just interviewed, uh, I also interview people that have awesome uh, marriages. So I interviewed uh, Olga and uh, Juan, my best friends, and they okay. have been married for 24 years and they have an awesome relationship, so loving. And they shared openly about all their fights and initially it was, they talked about divorce. And uh, it was very, very difficult at times. But um, they, they said they never go to bed without resolving conflict. Yeah, yeah. they say they can stay up at four in the morning to resolve it. They don't go to bed. Yeah. One of our, <laughs> one of our principles is, is that Debbie and I have is never walk away. Yeah. Because what happens is a lot of times conflict comes and it seems to be escalating. And then what, what happens, one of, or the other walks away and they go into separate rooms and then you get the silent treatment. Yeah. And so what you want to do is stay in it, use good communication skills, don't talk at each other, talk with each other, and try to find the root cause of the problem. But you can't do that unless you're willing to be totally transparent yeah. and vulnerable. Yeah. That's and that's key. harder for men, yeah. harder for men to do. And this podcast is mainly for men. Uh, so I, I know women are going to be listening too, but I'm a man. I feel like I, I can help men in a better way. And uh, we also have the Facebook uh, community where uh, everybody is invited in and where we share and help each other. And we also have the, the support. We have coaching. Uh, we have a, a mastermind groups where we can support each other and we help each other grow. And this is a process like you've shared. It doesn't happen when you just sit still. You have to actually take action and learn. And we're going to round this podcast off. And I just have a last question here. If you have a listener right now and they have just recently gone through divorce in a pretty bad place where they have dealing with depression, issues around marriage, issues around the kids, etc. What would your word for this person be? My word for them would be hope. To, to realize is that hope is never lost as long as you're willing to do the work. And your journey is going to be work. It's not going to happen by itself. Um, people will tell you that time heals old wounds. That is a false statement. Time only makes wounds worse when it comes to emotional issues. So don't stay where you are. Don't suffer in silence. Get help from somebody who's qualified. And, and what I mean qualified is, do they have the kind of relationship that you want? Because there's a lot of well-meaning friends that will tell you what you should or shouldn't do, 
but you need to look to their fruit. And if, and if you like the relationship they have, then you probably can listen to their advice. But if you do not like the relationship that they have and they've made a mess of their lives too, they, they can be your friend, but they don't need to be your coach. Yeah. And so, but, but, but the one word that I would want you to be left with is that there is always hope. Life is going to cause you to feel like there is no hope, that all hope is lost. And that is false. There is always, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Yeah. You may not feel like it today, but it's going to come up tomorrow. You have been emotionally wounded. And that is a wound that is going to take time to heal. But if you don't have an expectation of healing, you won't heal. But in, And this is proven in medical science as well, that, that patients that have an expectation of healing heal much faster than those without that expectation. So my key word to you would be hope. Yeah. Don't let go of hope. Believe that things are going to get better and then surround yourself with people that can help you on that journey and get you toward the hope that you have inside and make it a reality. I think that was a great ending uh, because that is actually the, the purpose of this podcast is to bring hope. It is to bring hope to people that are suffering after divorce and to bring that catalyst, something that's going to help them take that action, reach out to a friend, reach out to a counselor, a coach and get going on, on taking action. So I really appreciate this time that you took with us, uh, Randy. It was an awesome, an honor to sit there and, and talk and then sharing and being vulnerable with other men and people. So I just want to say that uh, truly an honor. Thank you. It was my honor as well. I appreciate you inviting me. <laughs>